0: Welcome back to the Russell Fugit Podcast, Leadership, Legacy, and Love 3XL. Um, we're here in the second episode I Think the theme We're going to be doing WWC World War C. And I'm blessed and humbled today to have my very first guest on this podcast. And I had to start with someone who's very special to me. And that is none other than my mother, Ann Fugit. And she is you know, going to bring a very unique perspective coming from uh, Harlem, New York City. Um, and as she's always reminded me growing up, Smith College with honors, uh, George Washington University Law School with honors uh, and now um, a retired uh, grandmother um, and a former attorney. And I'm just so happy to have you on the podcast, Mom. Thanks for taking the time to be with me today and for sharing your perspective. I'm glad to be with you she's never done radio she's never done podcast so so we'll see how this goes i just told her to be herself and of course um growing up we've had so many dynamic conversations and so many conversations about the course politics i grew up with her watching the the nightly news and was as a result was always very informed and, and understood the world we live in the society that we in and also had a deep profound appreciation for our history and then we're going to get to that. But I really want to start with something even more profound, and that's um, our, our faith in Jesus Christ and our understanding um, of the spirit. As I spoke about in, in my episode, my previous episode and other episodes as well, um, mom, I just really want to get a sense right now um, from you um, and discuss a little bit of, You know, where do you sense that we are in this time spiritually, both in America and then on a global perspective as well. Um, in this season of uh, COVID-19, the coronavirus?
1: Well, I really think that God is trying to get our attention, our undivided attention. Uh, as things are going well in our lives, we don't pay much attention to God. Even as Christians, we, we tend to be focused on other things. And so with this, I think we're really forced to, to look and seek God throughout the world, not just in this country, and nothing like pain to turn us to God. I've been thinking a lot about a book I read years ago called The Problem of Pain by C.S. Lewis, and he says that pain is God's megaphone.
0: Mm-hmm. And God
1: has a way using of using pain and suffering uh, of all kinds to get our attention and to get our focus on Him and to get us to seek Him. So that's the first thing I, I, I've I thought of, that this really is an attention-getter. We're uh, seeing more and more people pray. Uh, I was struck by the fact that uh, Governor Hogan called a day, not a day of prayer, a time of prayer yesterday at 12 noon. Right. And that even some newscasters, I think uh, there was a newscaster on NBC who asked T.D. Jakes to pray last week. Right. And so where we've sort of been a culture... Where we we tend to compartmentalize God and put him in a separate place maybe for Sundays only now we're recognizing how much we need his help and his intervention in this situation is beyond our our control it's not in our hands so we truly are recognizing how much we need him
0: mm-hmm. so how how can we um, as as people of Maybe different faiths, or even, uh, you know, there's so many America certainly has strong Christian roots and so many people, I think, even in in my generation and younger, you know, may have grown up in and around the church, but have been disappointed in 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 in, uh, the probably the lower C church, you know, disappointed in 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 people. Right. And in organizations. And I know we've had those experiences, mom, Um, in this time, how can we turn? how can we. Um turn our attention to, to people you know with varying degrees of maturity. how can we really turn our attention if, if we if we're losing our job, if we're in a tough spot, um, if we're having troubles at home and we got to be at home, you're hearing you know d- divorces and things are are likely to spike. How can we how can we really turn our attention and, and, and lean into that?
1: You have to make a decision, and it's almost I think of it in terms of um, an emergency situation where you have nowhere else to go. You have, you have no solutions to your problems, and you have to turn to God. And the way you turn to God is you really turn to Him in prayer, in fervent, earnest prayer. Um, that's, that's key, and that's for everyone, regardless of what faith they are. I think everyone does have an ability to, to pray, because you have to have a measure of faith, too, to seek God. If you don't know God or have any kind of faith, that's very difficult. But in all circumstances of life, no matter how difficult they are, um, all of us have the ability at any time to turn to God and ask for help and say, I can't handle this. It's beyond me. I think it's when we reach the end of ourselves and we recognize that we don't have the answers to, to all of our difficulties, all the adversity we're facing, that we really come to a place of humility mm. and we seek God in earnestness and we throw up our hands and say, Lord, if you don't help me, I am just I am lost and without any help. And that's for all of us, those who are Christian, and those who are not Christians.
0: Mm. Thank you for that. And I'm, I'm just so grateful that you you've raised mm-hmm. me to understand that. And it's taken my own life experiences to really learn that and I think that's the case for everyone is that you know you have to learn through we have to learn through our own experiences and that's hard and that's painful and this is certainly a painful time for 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 most of us I know we're you know we're praying for health and we're praying about um of course the economy and, I, and I'm just been struck of course by the the economic impact and really understanding that I think more people are going to be hurt um, economically in the the, the the issues that are going to exist because of that, whether it's depression, whether it's loss of income, whether it's domestic violence, whether it's drug and alcohol abuse, et cetera, um, that there's just so many things that, that we're going to struggle with. I know, you, Mom, you also have a unique perspective because of my grandparents, because of howie and that as we as we call them um and 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 what what they experienced um and their parents experienced um during the great depression um what are are your some your memories of of the stories you heard from your parents and grandparents about what they what they lived through about a hundred years ago in the great depression
1: well i know for both my parents the depression uh, left a lasting indelible mark on their lives Um, Both of them were extremely frugal people because of having grown up in the depression and they were deeply affected by it. My mother um, talked about the fact that to have ice cream was a luxury. I mean, if she had an ice cream, that was very, very special because times were so difficult. And my grandfather, fortunately, her father worked for the post office, but he was was furloughed for like about six weeks and then he he'd work again for another six weeks. And so his salary was substantially cut. And so they really um, they really struggled. And so mom was always one to save everything. She washed aluminum foil. I always wondered about that, you know, but she would wash it very thoroughly and u- reuse it. Uh, she would take the zippers and the buttons off of worn out clothes. And I'd say, why do you do that, Mom? And she'd say, because buttons are expensive, and I can reuse them. I can use these buttons on something else. So there was a real uh, focus on being thrifty uh, and a real focus on not wasting. Um, They never acted as though there there was always going to be more. They acted as though, you know, we may not have anything later on down the road, so we better be very careful with our with what we have and with our money and so they were definitely people who didn't believe in going into deep debt um they believed in investing and saving always having um, something for the unforeseen pop would always talk about the the unforeseen circumstance that may come up and you never know what's going to happen and he would he would describe it as up jumps the devil (laughs) in your life and that stays with me um so they they were very, very cautious, and they, they enjoyed life. They managed to, to travel and, and to have a good life, but they were very, very careful and thoughtful about what, how they used their money, what they did with their money. And they certainly, they didn't believe in debt. They were very much opposed to debt. And they just, they didn't live beyond their means. If anything, they probably lived under their means. I can remember as a kid, we had an old, beat-up Buick and Dad drove that car forever um, to the point where the muffler had fallen out, and we would hear the muffler rattle or make noise as the car drove down the road. And uh, some of our neighbors, when we were out in Long Island in the summertime in Sag Harbor, would laugh at Dad and say, yeah, you know when the pains are coming because you hear that muffler. But he kept that car probably for about nine or ten years, and then finally you know, got a new car. But That was the kind of uh, values they had. They were about really being very tight with the dollar and and saving. And Dad also believed in investing. Um, And he studied and he would stay up late at night. He worked, but he also at night would stay up studying to uh, figure out what stocks to invest in and how he could um, provide more for his family than what he was earning. So... The depression had a, a major effect, I think, because my grandfather Payne, my father's father, lost everything. He had invested in the stock market and he lost everything he had pretty much when the crash happened, but he rebuilt it slowly but surely over time. So uh, that that event um, left a lasting mark on the family, but it was for the good, you know, it, it really, some very, very strong values in my parents and that those values stay with
0: me. I know a lot of those values uh, stay with me. you've always you know encouraged said to me, you know it's not we, we act like things will you know we, we have indefinite quality, indefinite supply of, of certain things and of course as you know, time has gone on we've seen the impacts of that uh, behavior on our environment. And, and on our attitudes and how we how we spend and how we how we handle um, our budgets. Um, I know we've talked about this in a the, in the recent week or so. Uh, I mean, there's no doubt to me that we're we're in or if we're not there yet, we're heading towards a depression of some sort. Um, and, and, you know, what what do you say? What do you see happening? And, and I guess it's going to certainly be a. a, a I hope it won't be a decade long depression like the Great Depression, but I don't know if you have any insights and perspective um, that you can share about where you think we're, we're heading in the coming months.
1: Well, I have to say, and naturally I'm an optimist, but I can't be particularly optimistic at this time. I know that uh, the unemployment rate has grown considerably since this pandemic began and that a lot of people are living uh, from paycheck to paycheck. A lot of people are working multiple jobs just to make ends meet. And we live in a very consumer-oriented society where people spend, 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 and we're encouraged to spend and, and told we have to have certain things. And so people don't have a lot of savings. So I have to say that I'm, I'm concerned. I was thinking about the depression and was looking up some of the statistics and how during the depression, um, the peak of it was at the peak, I think midway, we had a unemployment rate of 25% and uh, most of the depression, it was about 14%. And I could see that, you know, we're heading probably into that 14% um, area. I think it was something like six, six and a half million or 6.3 million. People applied for unemployment insurance just maybe last week
0: right. or in the last couple of weeks. Well, over approximately $10 million in the last two weeks. And, of course, they're saying that because the system has been choked that it's probably many more who wish to apply but weren't able to get through either by ca- calling or, or on the Internet because it, the system was so backlogged because of the, the sudden uh, avalanche of people attempting to apply. And, of course, we'll have updated numbers in a few days from now. But, yeah.
1: So, the the situation economically is very serious, and this is an opportunity really for the church, Um, and I'm talking about people who believe in Jesus Christ, to rise up and do something to help their their brothers and sisters who are going to need help. Um, There's going to be a great need for food, clothing, shelter, um, and the church needs to need to come and meet those needs I think people are starting to do that already you see a lot with the food banks um, people are volunteering at the food banks and they're donating food they're donating money so there there is this spirit of love and concern for our fellow man that's happening now but we're going to need to do more and more in the days to come I wish it was going to be different but I I can't see this um, turning around anytime soon, You're talking about this pandemic lasting for possibly a year and a half. And so a lot of people are going to be uh, suffering. And then and there are people that have already been suffering economically before this pandemic. Of course, you, yep. You know, so it's just, we're going to have to, um, those of us who say we love God, we're going to have to rise up and, and help.
0: Mm-hmm. How, this is Russell Fugit. You're listening to Leadership, Legacy, and Love podcast. I'm here with my mother, Ann Fugit. Um, how how can we? I mean, you mentioned Governor Hogan, and and my wife was was telling me about it last night after the moment of prayer happened. And and you know, I watch news. I don't, and I'm on social media. I don't know how i i I missed it because I would have certainly. And we had church at home, and we had our kids. Our kids got dressed up. You know, I think I might have sent you a picture where they were in their dre- their dresses and. And, and we had a nice day, it was beautiful weather. We got out a little bit and were on our deck for half most of the afternoon and everything and they were running the house, having to run out of the house. How do, we, how do we You know, bridge the gap? You talked about what the church can do. How can we ne- not let this moment in time pass without continuing to, to remove the shame from expressions of faith um, in, in, in public life? And that's okay for our governor. And I'm sure some people had an issue with it, but I haven't seen it, but I'm sure people did. But with our governor saying, you know, no matter what your background is, take a moment of silence, pray. How, how can we keep that presence, um, keep, keep that spirit going in our government? Because obviously the church can do certain things. Um, but to to shift our culture, to shift our society, to shift our government, and how we how we allocate resources, how we support the least of these, how can we keep that spirit um, going in the public square, so to speak?
1: Well, you know, I believe in the power of prayer. Uh, I do think that God can reach people who have the most hardened hearts and are stubborn and don't want any part of Him, and I really do think that in the midst of what's going on that god is at work in it to draw people in leadership positions in government to himself that he's turning hearts and minds towards him because people are reaching and those in leadership are reaching the end of themselves i believe they don't have all the answers right and they're gonna have to turn to god and so i think um I, I really do think God's at work in the midst of all of this and that for those of us who believe uh, we are to get on board with what God is doing and pray align our prayers with God with God's heart to turn hearts that are in leadership positions in the government towards him and towards the people because you can't you can't turn your heart towards God and not turn your heart towards people right. You know, you can't say you love God and don't love people. So I do believe in the power of prayer—fervent prayer, earnest prayer, um, persistent prayer—and then I, I do believe in the power of relationships, where people talk to one another and talk to people uh, in power positions and share their faith and and um, bring to their attention the needs that are so great out here. You know, and and so many people. Um, are very oblivious sometimes to to the real need, economic needs of people in this country, um, and they're they're focused on other things, and so or we'll focused on us, themselves, and focused upon themselves. I mean, one of the things I I've been thinking about is how, in the midst of this, God really is delivering us from this culture of me i call it the culture of marvelous me where we're so focused on ourselves and what we need and what we want our self-actualization our self-assertion and we're so absorbed and we've gotten away from this idea of community Mm. where we are all in this together we need one another we're called as christians to love one another uh, whether you're Christian or not, to love, to love those who are not Christian and to love those who are Christian, love all people, and to have a care and concern for others, and that has to translate into every aspect of our lives, into political life, and in our interactions in politics with you know with our voting, with um, our going to board of education meetings, these things where we vote voice our beliefs and our concern for the least of these so that's my answer
0: yeah i've just been so troubled as i've um you know hear about i'm here in crofton which is a pretty nice neck of the woods yes um as you know so many places many places in maryland are we're one of the wealthier states in the country and of course as a result one of the wealthiest places in the world um but i still hear about the number of kids that have been lining up at crofton middle school for the free and reduced lunches that they're still giving out and that the line is down the block and, you know, for people in the court, they're saying anybody can, any kid can get the lunch. And of course, um, you know, I know there's some, there's some rental units in Crofton. So I imagine in a lot of houses, including similar to, you know, some of my neighbors rent their home. Um, so I understand there's a different economic um, class where, where there's a need, there that need exists. Um, and of course, you know, my wife, or I could have just easy, easily lost our job and need to go get the free or reduced lunch for our kids. So it was not like, you know, um, we're, we're oblivious or we're rich, so to speak. But um, even, you know, the appearance of things can be one way. But then when uh, a disaster hits the reality of how close so many people, right, your neighbors, right near you are to being hungry, to, to being in that position, um, it's just really... I don't know if I have a follow up question to this statement, but it's just really been sitting with me and on my heart and I've been really grappling in recent days, Mom, with you know, what to what to do about it. Um, you know, my entrepreneurial spirit, you know, my love for people and for serving people that, that I've had since I was a boy and, you know, being in v- various student government positions through, you know, high school and college and you know, very in, in, in my career and in different aspects. I've just really been just grappling with, you know, what what's what's next? Um you know how how do we how do we shift our values as as people as families and then as a society to to I guess you know to use the political term and, and strengthen the safety net right um, or to provide a, a a you know where you know they say what 25 percent of kids um, I think or, or, or more than that actually are, are at risk or are. Um, at risk of going hungry every every day in america and i'm sure that number is higher today than it was four weeks ago and you hear all these you know statistics that are being discussed now and just you know just wondering personally you know how to how to how to shift my entrepreneurial energy my my social energy um my my political energy that i've had more in the past than i've had more recently probably i uh, just been wondering how to shift it because that's that's troubling me more than the people in the hospital. And 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 that's just me. The people in the hospital is scary. Um, I haven't told you I found out that I have a family member who's believed to have um, contracted um, the virus and apparently is home doing OK. Um, so, you know, it's 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 real. But I just know the longer term, once we flatten this curve and it goes down, the longer term pain and the issues in our society that have caused that whether it's individual behaviors, but also how our society is set up for working people, um, it still needs to change.
1: I I guess I I do look at it from a spiritual perspective, Mm -hmm. that God in the midst of this is offering an opportunity for us to change, to really do some serious self-examination, to do some... Some uh, examination of our values in a, as a society, as a country, as a world. I was thinking a lot about the fact that this pandemic has really come about during Lent, right? And yeah. At the very, um, you know, that the apex of it is expected this week, which is Holy Week, right? Yeah, you know, the week leading up to to Easter. And I was thinking, you know, Lent is to be really uh, a season of repentance, of self-examination, self-reflection, and repentance not necessarily so much in the sense of great shame and remorse, but in the sense of of change, a change of mind. I think about the, the root word that um, Repentance comes from, metanoia, the Greek word metanoia. It means change of of mind, Mm. change of heart. And we need that throughout the society um, because the society has been extremely focused on acquisition of stuff Mm -hmm. and self-aggrandizement and power and greed. And this is an opportunity, really, for us to wake up and say, this isn't the way to live. This isn't This isn't in accordance with the will of God. This isn't how God intended us to live, to be about, you know, only about ourselves and not care for other people. Um, so it's a time for change. I know maybe your your listeners may think that um, I'm over-spiritualizing, but I've, I've prayed a lot and I've thought a lot about this and I really do think there is a need, um, for all of us to really do some serious soul-searching and, and look at the society that we have embraced, that we've created, right. the culture that we're living in that uh, allows for you know children to go hungry. I think about when I guess I was a teenager, CBS News did a, a documentary on hunger in America, and it showed how how uh, many children were without proper nutrition with, throughout the country. Right. And you think to yourself, that was around 1968. And here we are, what, 50 years later, almost, more than 50 years later, and we still have children that have, don't have enough food. Mm. This should not be. We call ourselves you know, the greatest country in the world. I think it's a time, really, for repentance, a time for serious reflection as a nation and as a world, but particularly, I think, in terms of this country, right. because this is the country I grew up in. This
0: is my home. And we have tremendous wealth and ability. We don't, you know. I remember I had a professor yes. in, in grad school, a finance professor, and he was a uh, a, a, uh, you know, kind of a gruff but very friendly older white gentleman. And one day we were just, you know, all, as a class, we were talking about finance, and and there was a, a debate kind of broke out that was somewhat along. Ideological lines and a lot of his answers I thought were more would be more conservative. But then at one point he said, well, we have poor people in this country because we we choose to if there's enough wealth here, particularly in America, but even probably in the world, but particularly in America, where if we chose not to have poor people or hungry people, we wouldn't we wouldn't have we could eliminate hunger. And he just said, it, matter of fact, and I was kind of shocked because it, I, he kind of turned some of the argument on his head. I didn't expect him to say that, but he was like, no, I'm, I'm an economist. I understand finance and, and, and I'm an economist. And I, I just know that the wealth exists, that if we chose to a society to do it, we could do that. And so it's very I always that always stuck with me you know, for a number of reasons. You never know who, you know who might have what opinion. Don't judge a book by its cover. But also that, economically speaking, you know, of course, it's it's true that if we as a society chose to say everybody's going to have a baseline of housing and 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 food and education and clean water, um, then we we could do that. We could do it. You know, of course, you know, call me socialist, call me whatever you want to call me. But um, as as the Bible and Jesus said, how you treat the least of these is how you you know treat me as you would treat the least of these.
1: Yes, I mean, I think about the fact that. The, minimum, the federal minimum wage is $7.25 per hour, and that's about a little over $15,000 a year. Who, who can live off of that, even if you're just a household of one person, who can live off of $15,000 a year in this country? And every time the minimum wage is, is uh, up for being raised, there's opposition to it.
0: Of course, yeah.
1: Yeah. And employers cry out and say, "Well, I can't afford to to pay my employee, employees more money. I I may have to go out of business, and then they'll lose their jobs. Or I um, I'm not going to be able to hire as many people. But yet they're able to st- they're able to pay themselves very well. But the whole idea behind the minimum wage and overtime law was to provide a baseline standard of living." For American people, but I don't think that uh, the original legislators <laughs> considered that it would be this you know it would never be raised or it'd be raised so
0: incrementally, so right? In, yeah, yeah, so stingily. Yeah, um, incrementally and, and and very infrequently. <laughs> yeah, very.
1: I mean, you think of the minimum wage came into being in nineteen thirty eight. You know, mm. I don't know. I can't remember how many times it's been raised, but gosh, it's only seven dollars and twenty five cents. Mm. You know that's that's unconscionable but greed rules here unfortunately greed and a lack of compassion and we say we're christ-like we say we're christian we're a christian country i don't you know how you reconcile the two is i don't understand how you can reconcile the two it's hypocrisy something that jesus stood squarely against because he called he called out the hypocrites right vehemently you know you brood of vipers you you know you're like a whitest sepulcher he he gave them no room <laughs> short shrift yeah, so the hypocrisy in the country is something that i pray um in the midst of all this god will address and and people will start to wake up and they'll they'll truly turn their hearts towards Him and stop being nominally Christian and truly be Christian. Right. Because we got a lot of nominal Christians, a lot of cultural Christians, but do we really have people that love Jesus Christ and, and want to follow His way?
0: And want to make the sacrifice to do and so. That's
1: that's it. Mm-hmm. Sacrifice, which is not... A word that this this culture embraces. No. We hear very little mm-hmm. about sacrifice. Mm-hmm. People don't want sacrifice, and that's something I think about my parents, that they were very much about sacrifice. Mm. You know, we'll do without in order to have um, our children go to school, be able to send our children to college. We'll do without so we can, you know, buy a, a summer home. And they, you know, they saved and, and were tight with their money, uh, mm-hmm. in order to provide certain things without going into debt. Mm-hmm. They believed in sacrifice. Mm-hmm. You know? And, I mean, that's part of really our Christian walk. Mm-hmm. Sacrifice. You know? If we're truly going to imitate the Lamb of God, you know, he was the ultimate sacrifice willingly laid his life down completely for a
0: horrific death. That that is certainly what we are remembering, uh, this week. That's right. Uh, It is Holy weekend. I just, as, as this virus and as the economic impact seems to be disproportionately impacting the least of these poor people, Brown and black people. Um, I'm just, I'm just wondering, um, how, how, how those of us who have the privilege of social distancing of of remote work and keeping our paychecks um, if we'll if we'll realize the impact and, and really be willing to make the shifts um, in in our society that we're talking about, but um, I know through through prayer and, 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 and by the grace of God, hopefully we will be able to to begin to see so. see some shifts in uh, in the coming months and years um to have a more equitable society.
1: Yeah, I pray so. With all my heart.
0: Well mom, thanks for this conversation. Thanks you really uh bought it this whole thing uh the conversation full circle. I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add or or, or or say before we conclude today.
1: Well as I was praying and asking God what I should say, uh he gave me a scripture. And so I'm just going to read the scripture
0: please it's
1: Jeremiah twenty-nine thirteen, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart and I know from my own experience that this word is true mm. if you seek him with all your heart you will find him he'll reveal himself more and more to you mm-hmm. and so trust him uh, let him direct your path of life and uh have
0: peace. Amen. I always say people, to people, keep your peace.
1: Yes, keep your peace. Don't let
0: anything or any circumstance take your peace.
1: That's right. Um, and when you find yourself losing your peace, that's the time to turn your attention to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like the song says, turn your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. Amen. Amen. All right.
0: Well, thank you, Mom, for for um, having the courage and to do this interview and for sharing your wisdom. Um, I really appreciate it. And I hope, I hope you'll be willing to share this episode with your friends and your network. And, um, uh, I, I'm confident it'll bless a lot of people and, and give people, uh, th- something to think about certainly. And, and, and more importantly, um, reason to really take this time in this season to, to seek God earnestly in prayer. So thanks mom. I love you. You're welcome. I love you too. Thanks for the opportunity to of course. share. Of course, thanks. So um, this is the Russell Fugit Leadership Legacy and Love podcast, and you just um, got a, a, a big chunk of of my legacy, my mother, and and um, who I give great honor and respect to in the role she's played in helping me to understand who who God is, and in so many aspects and elements and so I'm just thank you for listening um, please stay tuned um, I have some other guests already lined up for this week and I'm really excited um, as we continue this uh, WWC World War C series and um, really want to go deeper and, and bring some different perspectives to you for this season um, of course you can follow me across social media at Russell um and contact me at russellfugit.com. again thank you for listening stay safe Stay safe, stay well, stay home. (laughs) Those are the three things to do right now. So God bless you.